Welcome to the Tier 1 Performance LV Podcast, where we help you find your inner athlete by discussing all things from fitness, health, mindset, optimizing performance, self-discovery, and growth. We are joined by Richard Clydesdale, known as Clyde, who I had the pleasure of serving alongside in the Army. Clyde served 26 six years joining at the age of 16 and in his service he rose through the ranks finishing up as a warrant officer Clyde, uh how's it going buddy how's things yeah good mate yeah it's nice to hear from you yeah you too mate um mate how's england it's it's good we're enjoying some good weather at the minute it's uh yes yeah. yeah, it's, it's warm um uh, you know what brits are like they're, they're complaining it's too hot but that's uh, <laughs> no, nice yeah. it's, it's nice and sunny blue skies and uh yeah, well, yeah, I was pretty good over here. Yeah, always nice to see a bit of sun, mate, especially. Um, mate, we, well, I've, I've got so used to it being out here in Vegas. We're kind of fortunate that it's, you know, even when it's not hot, it's like still always clear. And um, we went up to, I had a trip to Denver. And for a few days, it was like, you know, like gl- grey clouds, gloomy. And I just remember looking up the sky, getting a little bit almost like depressed, thinking, man, I feel like I'm back in England here. I'm like so used to the blue skies. Yeah, you kind of take it for granted, mate. It makes you feel good seeing a blue sky. Yeah, definitely, yeah. So, uh, cool, mate. Um, so, yeah, i going to kind of go back to the origins, mate. So, you know, just kind of tell us, you know, like, you know, where did you come from in England, mate? You know, where, you know, where was you born and bred? And, you know, how was that kind of in your, you know, back then? Um, well, my family roots are from Carlisle, but I'm not, I wouldn't say really I'm from anywhere. I was born in Wrexham. Uh, sort of northeast Wales, and then my parents moved about a bit. Um, I ended up in boarding school for a, a wee while, and and then, like I said, joined the army when I was sixteen. So I'm a bit of a, a nomad, really. Um, here in Suffolk, where I sort of based myself, where um, we you know spent a lot of time serving, is probably the longest place I've had an official postcode. So right. um, yeah, I'm a sort of I'm not really from anywhere particular. So I just have roots here and there. Yeah, mate. And, uh, mate, just kind of, well, you know, you mentioned you, well, you joined the army at 16. Like, at what age, mate, did, did you kind of fall into joining the army or was you already thinking about it even before that? Like, was you gearing yourself up to join or? Um, I've got a cousin who's a year older than me and, um, he, he joined the sort of the school year before. So we went to the recruiting office together on sort of like, you know, on one of the school holidays. And we sort of like got the brochures and thought this is a good idea and I thought this would suit me. Um, so I sort of took it from there, really. Uh, and then when you went down the recruiting office, mate, did you get kind of, did you get, I don't know, you know, sometimes the channel you into like, hey, join this because, you know, as we know now, like they need maybe numbers or, you know, or was you kind of, you, was you set on like the path that you took, you know, as in joining the Royal Engineers? Um, well, I took, you know, like, like I said, I was only 14 or maybe even 13 when I, when I first went into the, the centre. And yeah. um, I took all the brochures away and I was too young for the guy to sort of like um, be trying to challenge me in any way. Okay. And it just so happened that my cousin, he joined the Royal Engineers as well. Um, right, right. So that sort of was, you know, a little bit um, the way I was going to go, I think. And then just ended up in, in where I did. and. Yeah, I think when I, when I got in, I was always going to go either the uh, the airborne path or the commando path. I think it was, it was them two that that appealed to me, and then you know I went, I went airborne, and then the rest is sort of history as such. 
Yeah, so, so mate, uh, just to touch on that real quick, I know we'll delve into it a little bit more, but even at 16, mate, you was aware of like, I want to go down that route, like as in the airborne route? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, just reading through the brochure, it just sort of like appealed and yeah. I thought, yeah, I fancy that, yeah. Yeah, my journey into the army, mate, was, uh, sounds a little bit similar on the surface as in, so when I was 14, well, I think there was something like my parents had said, hey, like, let's go check this out. You know, who, who knows? It might be something for you to do. Because again, you know, growing up in Bradford, you know, there, you know, there wasn't many things. There was a bit of a stigma, you know, with Bradford. And, you know, coming from there, I'm not going to say it's, you know, it has its ups and downs, which I think any major city in England has. But um, I went in there at 14 and same thing, mate. I, you know, got a lot of brochures. And the big thing that attracted me to the engineers was originally it was just the tread. It was like the sound of, oh, I can be an electrician. And then for some reason, I think uh, my uncle was an electrician. So I just kind of, I don't know, I just thought, oh, it's a good trade. I can make some money. And then I was only thinking, mate, originally, I'll do four years, get a trade, get it all paid for. And then when I get out, you know, I'll do that trade and, you know, like become, you know, like a make some of myself on Civvy Street. So that was the only reason why I chose the uh, Royal Engineers. And then it also gave me some direction on them final two years of school because I had to get a certain grade. I think you had to get A to C's in like maths, English and science. Otherwise, they wouldn't even accept you. Right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that was kind of like my kind of direction into joining the army. But, um, mate, at 16, what what did that feel like if you can take us back just, you know, like leaving, you know, going off to, you know, basic training at 16 years old? Well, obviously, it's, it's quite apprehensive for a young lad to date, but... Once you get there, you're all in the same boat. Um, there was hundreds of us, you know, you know, all brand new, and um, yeah, it's sort of like once, once you've been there a couple of months, it's part and parcel of, of what goes on. And I really enjoyed junior army; it was good. Um, we did some good stuff, and and yeah, you know, I think it sort of set the scene right for um, what, what goes later on through your army career. I remember that they stopped junior army for a while. And I think it was, a, it was a massive mistake and they realised it was a big mistake and they've reopened the college in Harrogate now, um, where all the other young lads go now. Yeah, that's that's where I ended up was Harrogate. Yeah, so I must, well, obviously one of the fortunate ones that got to go go to Harrogate. And um, was it was it like that with you too, mate? Because I know at Harrogate, when I went through, they always used to use the word junior leaders. That was like... The catchphrase, as in you're going to be the future leaders of the army, was that kind of like yeah, the mindset it, 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 for it you was too? Put in, but I think it was um, it, 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 the proof was also in the pudding as well. If you, for some reason, a lot of the lads who did better were the ones that went in early on. Yeah, um, the majority of, of the guys who, who you know did did better, landed in the higher ranks, were the ones that went in juniors. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it gave you a very good grounding. And you didn't, you know, like, I suppose it's like, you know, when you learn to drive a car and then you pick up bad habits, you know, because yeah, yeah. you, you spend so long in learning it at a longer time, you don't pick up the bad habits and then you, you take better things forward. I don't know if that makes sense, but, um, yeah, because yeah. when you did it too, mate, was it extended? Because I think mine was literally just shy of 12 months, which well, is a like, long time. I went to Chepstow. Because um, yeah. then, you know, the, when the corps all had their own places. Okay. And, and um, so it was just Royal Engineers with me, no, no other um, guys. Yeah. And 
Yeah, we we had two years of it, and it was uh, oh, two. Yeah, it was we really grounded through the sort of you know, treat, treated the way it was for a long, long time. You know, because yeah. from then, by the time you went to Gibraltar Baddocks, etc., you've been in training sort of two and a half years. It was you know, a long, long time. Yeah, you pretty much like I said, mate. You're at like you're preconditioned, like ready for the what I'd call the the man's army, as in when you get to the real army type of thing. As in, you know, just like you've you've erased that civilian, you know, whether you've got the bad attitude, obviously even just physically, you know, getting introduced to stuff like tabbing and being in the gym. Like as a teenager, mate, even though I played a load of sports like football, rugby, anything that I wanted, I'd never been in a gym and lifted weights. It just wasn't a thing. Yeah, I've done a little bit at sort of school and I had my own little kit at home and that. But, um, right, right. But uh, yeah, you definitely, it's more an education. I mean, you were taught how to do it properly rather than sort of play. Nowadays, it's easy to self educate your stuff with the social media. But for me, this is going back to the 1980s where um, I think we had Channel 4 just about. But um, you know what I mean? It was yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. a bit more basic. TV or you have to, yeah, yeah, go actually go and research like which yeah. books to get and then physically get the books. Yeah, a lot more uh, effort went into it compared to how easy it is today, mate. Um, I was a little bit again. I was look fortunate. I was you know I was, mate. I was like a whippet, so I was always good at running from playing sports. But um, you know, I would, the thing that I struggled with up until pretty much like going onto P Company was you know tabbing you know with the weight on. That, that was one of my things that I kind of struggled with because, like I said, I was a skinny lad. Was there anything that, you know, was you aware of that? Was there anything that you was apprehensive about? Or, again, did that two years just fully get you up to standard? Uh, I think, yeah, possibly. I mean, like I said, two years is a long time. and We did do a lot of training over that period compared to the, the adult recruits who did it over what, 12 weeks or whatever. So it was... Uh, it was spread out for quite some time, and they had time to build it up. So, yeah. I think if it was good, I you know I've got nothing but fond memories of junior army, and uh, it was good. And I think the way they dealt with us was good as well. Yeah. Any um, mate, just for anyone listening and, and myself, mate, any just like one fond memory that really sticks out with you that you've kind of carried forward until now? Uh Oh, there's loads now. Put you put me on the spot, but uh, yeah. what in juniors or, or yeah, just, throughout? Yeah, maybe a character. Maybe it was someone who was like you know, like a one of the corporals that was in charge or something. Oh, right. Like, well, yeah, I think for, no. for me, the the, the the main character, the, the sergeant major I had, was yeah. was an outstanding guy. Um, yeah, I like to call his name was Jim Moyer. He was five nine. He wasn't nine. So, but um, which which sort of started. I, flicker in my head of which way to go but he was a great way he set the standards right and he was a sergeant major sergeant major you know what I mean he was yeah. proper old school and a great guy and he he just he said how it was was very clear very directive and you know he, he was someone to aspire to you know what I mean and I still keep in touch with him to this day and yeah. what was quite funny now I mean I'm in my 50th year um, and I always think of him being about 40 you because know, he, he was obviously a sergeant major and he always thinks of me being about 16. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Because it's how you, you know, judge these people in, in, in this time of your life when you sort of like knew them. But yeah. yeah. Now that, yeah, that I was, I was on my last uh, podcast, mate, I said the same thing um, 
we was talking, it was a runner and he was saying that at his high school, there was two like other coaches on the like run team. One of them didn't care about him because he kind of didn't have the talent. And then the other one took him under his wing and kind of built him up and kept him going. And now he's a pretty established runner. But it's kind of, I think it's important that um, anyone who's involved with younger people, like they're there to mold them. And as, you know, as long as they kind of, you know, listen to what's being told and do the right things, you know, you can go so much further compared to, you know, like just trying to judge someone when they're 16, you know, so young. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's, I think it's great that we have, you know, like just these leaders that can build you up and, you know, turn you into something, you know, even probably bigger than what you might have even thought at the age of 16. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's a good sign, mate, that you've got, you had someone like that early on. I was kind of fortunate too. Um, I kind of lost touch with them, but there was a couple of characters as in the, uh, you know, leaders, the, the sergeant, I remember the first night we got there and um, I think we just got some of our kit. We were still in tracksuits. Uh, we didn't get no uniform yet. And it was like, right, get in the corridor. And then, so there must've been about 30, 40 of us just in this corridor stood to attention. It was like, right, let's get into the showers. So we all went into the shower area and then they taught us, you know, how to shower properly. Some guys you'd actually laugh, but didn't know how to shower properly, like, you know, wash everywhere. Then there was one guy which stands out. It was this Scottish guy. I can't remember his name. Uh, they taught us, you know, how to shave, how to do all that stuff. This one guy, first time, it must have been his first time shaving, cut his face up to ribbons. There was blood everywhere. And then that was just him kind of almost, you know, like, you know, not, you know, he'd be like, not targeted, but, you know, just laughed at. Just be like, man, you remember when you cut your face up and you'd have the scars, you know, all through training. <laughs> so it's just like, oh, so yeah, but yeah, being 16, mate, like getting pretty much stripped down, like literally stripping the civilian away. And then now they're building you up. Uh, that was one of the things that I loved about it. Um, mate, moving on then. So passing, passing junior army, Jib Barracks, mate. I mean, we know what Jib Barracks is about. And uh, I'm sure obviously it was a bit different in your time going through there. But um, just for everyone listening, mate, can you tell us like what that is? And what it was our like, combat engineering it? training. Um, it, it was it was different. It was good for the basis of you know, everything that we did. The Royal Engineers is, is a team thing. We build things like bridges is a great example to give, mm -hmm. and it needs a load of guys or girls working together to achieve something. And I think, I think that's one of the things I really missed when I when I left was. Um, that sort of activity, you know, when we did stuff within the troop, it was as the troop, and yeah, yeah. we're all we're all part of the same team, getting the um, you know the mission from A to B, whatever it could be, and you know, I, I enjoyed it for that that, that bit. And you make they go, you know, on your leadership fact, you have to be a bit of a leaders within that to keep the the, the system moving. It was a uh, was good, good again, yeah. and it was different stuff as well. And it was we were treated slightly different because we weren't juniors, we were seniors. Um, but no, no, it was good, and it was a new skills. Again, you know, enjoyed it. Did you when you got to gym, mate? Did you did you stay with like all your kind of junior guys? You know, like who nah. come through? You, nah, was we, you mixed in with the yeah, adults? Yeah. No, no, oh, we okay. were still juniors, but we we left Chepstow. It was it was probably. Uh, Probably three hundred guys that um, that left Chepstow at the same time, and then went into the different training troops. There was some mixture. There, you know, those guys, a few adults, maybe some of the right. back squatted or whatever, and a couple of uh, guys that come from Dover. 
yeah. uh, which is where another one of our junior places uh, was. But uh, we were all mixed about from those from Chepstow. Okay. Yeah, uh, when we when I went on to Jib, we was well, I'd say kind of fortunate. It was nice that we literally all of the people from Harrogate who was going to the Royal Engineers, we all went. So there was a there was basically a troop worth of you know like the people that you'd either been with or at least use all around you know like the same age. So yeah. um, it was kind of I don't know. I'd say looking back now, which I didn't think at the time, but you know it's just like a little bit comforting just because you knew people and there wasn't many, you know, I, I think again, we had like one or two random guys that might've been back trooped that joined in. And then they probably had a tougher time because we was all younger. You know, we knew known each other for like at least a year. So, um, mate, do you remember the, uh, <laughs> a jib at the, the piano? Was that in effect? Yeah, that, you was, guys yeah there? that was still there. Yeah. The Gobi desert and <laughs> yeah. Yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was like one of the, well, that was the place where it was, there was a big emphasis put on it when I went through there, you know, like getting the TRF and, you know, like obviously your, um, the, uh, your stable belt, like earning it, like, and be becoming a Royal Engineer. So was, was that still, was that weight still there in the time when you went through? Like it was a big deal? Uh, yeah, what was, yeah, I remember as well for us that the, um, there was guys, not not most but adult recruits that went through, and there were then there was some that used to do their phase one at Jib Barracks as well, right? And they didn't have a cat badge. They were walking about <laughs> with no cat. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know what I mean? They just they just looked odd and out of place. Yeah. And it just, you know, I mean, we had little we had tabs on our arms to say that we were sort of that denoted we were in training, but right, right. It was you just lose the tab, and, and then we got the stable belt after we passed finished your barracks you got given the steer ball like then yeah um but yeah it's all, all these little things build up to um making guys work for a target if you just give people stuff it's you don't have to work for it yeah and then oh yeah it's, you know i mean it's always good to have a goal to whatever you're doing really yeah i think um I was again, mate. You know, still again. I was, you know, very, very young. I think what I was, you know, seventeen when I was at Jib. Probably went into probably hit eight. No, in fact, no. I was still seventeen, so you know, still a kid. And uh, but I was proud as punch. You know, my mum and dad came down. You know, you do the final like parade. You know, you do like the little beach assault attack. That oh, that's what we did. Then you're on the parade, and you know, you get given your stable belt. And yeah, it's a big deal, especially even you know, we was probably around the same age when you're receiving that. And like I said, you know, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm finally. Oh, well, again, you think you, you you are, you're joining a family within the army, which, you know, for us, it was the Royal Engineers. So, yeah, mate, it was, it's, a, it's something that I'm proud of. I've still got my stable belt, you know, in in, a, in my closet kind of put away. And, you know, it's something that I'll kind of treasure until I'm an old, you know, an old man. And then, you know, reflecting. Um, mate, what about the, uh, we kind of overshot it real quick, but how cool was it? Well, you know, getting your hands on Dems, uh, you know, at such a young age too, getting taught how to, operate and deal with you know demolitions do you remember yeah, that, that stuff? was good yeah it was good um yeah and it's, it was exciting stuff um and you know, you know I, I went late in my career i did a bit of teaching there as well right right and, and that, that was good as well you know watching the guys do all that sort of stuff you know demolitions is uh, blowing things up is exciting isn't it? and yeah. um you know for, for most people and yeah that was good good to do it yeah I remember the first one, was it there? They put you into a circle and there's like maybe five or eight of you. Yeah, and and confidence you the, charges. 
Yeah, and you have the ball of, you know, C4 and uh, then, um, you know, your deck call and stuff. And what, mate, again, sorry, but you'll know better than me. Mate, what what did you have to say? Was it, oh, firing now? Uh, yeah. Or, yeah, yeah, did, yeah. Yeah, one of, one of the guys, I remember, <laughs> he must have been watching a film or something the night before, you know, within the week or so, he's like, fire in the hole! <laughs> <laughs> and one of the instructors just went, who was that? And he was just like, pulled him out and just, I remember just getting thrashed for about 20 minutes, like, you know, that's not what we say. And then it was just, yeah, just yeah, little things. Band of Brothers, he must have been watching Band of Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just little things like that. When you think back, you're like, oh, like so funny you know but uh yeah some comical stuff but uh yeah bridge building mate, yeah that's a tough one uh i've been watching this um survival show recently and there was talking about you know building the airframes and i remember building the airframe you know we had to like tr if you had to transport kit from a to b yeah the kind of yeah like all stuff like that which i mean again i'm probably never ever going to need it but just learning essential skills like that and uh you know how to tie knots you know, in the in ropes and different the different type of knots and the uses, you know, just very very you know, kind of like important things that you know I know that we needed them as royal engineers as you kind of progress but, onto your career. And I think massively is as well, especially you know in airborne forces, when you're always improvising, um, we yeah. use loads of that sort of stuff. Uh, and you know, I mean for the, for the skills that we did, and I, I don't know if you can remember when we. we uh, we made the the captive ferry at Sangin. Were you on the, the Herrick Four? Was it Herrick Eight you did? Oh no, I was on Herrick Eight. Herrick yeah, Eight. Not, well, on, yeah. on Herrick Four, we we made a captive ferry, and we to tighten up the the line, we did the same method that you used for the aerial ropeway. So maybe we weren't making your know, telegraph pole timbers to put somewhere from A to B, but we were using the same skill set to do. A similar sort of task and yeah some of them some of them basic things that you know so useful that when you've got to improvise it's um second to none oh yeah definitely um so mate you've you've got out of you know like jib you're you know got your uh, belt and everything um what was the next thing for you mate within your career well for me like yourself i went straight on to pre-para oh, okay um, cool volunteer for airborne forces um and then went to older shot to to do all all that um, yeah. P P company, and then for me, I was lucky straight into my jumps course. Then the, 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 there was a the RAF had more planes, and it just went through. And then and then I was a sapper in nine parachute squadron, eighteen year old boy. So, mate, um, just to kind of just so I know we kind of flew over that, but for someone who's probably never heard of it. Just tell us a little bit, mate, you know, like what, you know, not all the full nitty gritty, but just like how long was P Company back then? Uh, I think it was a similar time. Pre-para was the first stage was the conditioning yeah. for P Company. That was about four weeks long. And to be brutally honest, that was harder. I think because the, the engineers prior standards, you know, especially Mind Squadron did at the time. I like, yeah. like two fleeters now, which is the, the bigger picture of the, the bigger unit but um and they didn't want any of their guys going there to fail so yeah. they, they were tuned in to do it so of a decent quality to go um mm -hmm. and spent four weeks with that and then three weeks with p company where it was you know running around going back to the tabbing you know carrying weight 
runs yeah um various sort of physical heavy cardio endurance um events uh for a further three weeks so it was seven weeks of putting your, your, your body through it really it was, it was it was pretty tricky pretty cheeky um, yeah. hard work mate was it the same for you like back then too mate where literally you know like you do your fizz you know there's there's lessons and stuff that go on but it's like any spare moment you're either like doing a bit of admin or just trying to either recover or just pack as many calories in your body as you can just eating as much as you can yeah yeah i mean it was it was the same thing from from day whenever before my times to now the yeah. You have to get the calories in there. You have to rest ready for the next hammering you're going to get. So um, yeah. if you don't do that, you, you're just basically going to fall apart. So yeah, and then um, it's not changed. Yeah. Mate, do you? I don't know if you remember, mate, but just a rough mate, estimate, like how many people started like P Company, and then how many people maybe you know got to the end or you know successfully. I think you know, the percentage wise, I think I think it. It's it's probably twenty five thirty percent pass I think from the yeah. start. I mean, like I say, but I mean, our unit was always they sent people on there with this guy's going to pass. If somebody yeah. was a bit hit and miss, flaky, it was mm-hmm. if he's if he was a great bloke and they thought right, this guy deserves a go because we like him, he'd be given yeah. a shot. But unless they we we thought he's going to pass, then. I mean, we didn't we didn't send them on because it was pointless really. We didn't want to send people there to fail, but other units didn't seem to have that same mindset. They would uh, just flood a load of numbers down there and, and see how they got on. Yeah. Um, with that, mate, when you what? So let's just say someone that you knew of, as in like you know, at Nine Squadron, who was always going for Nine Squadron. What happened, mate? Like, if they didn't pass P Company, did they just get shipped out to like another unit, or did they get another chance? They could get another chance. I think it could be on the, the books for, I think it's about 12 months in total. So right. possibly two or three goes. And then there's no point staying there if you weren't going to pass because you would, it's going to damage your own career. So the guys were, would, most of them would think themselves that this isn't working out and then they'd, they'd go somewhere else. Yeah. Um, and it's just natural way that went, went about, really. Yeah. Mate, and how, because um, back then too, mate, um, nine squadron which was the airborne like engineer squadron that you back then you was independent like you was the sole squadron there wasn't a regiment like there is nowadays uh, um a little well sort of that was a little bit before my time when it was nine independent that was the late oh, 70s okay. um right. when i was there it, it was sort of independent but it wasn't we came under three six so the the, the rhq was based in maidstone we were in aldershot right. um and yeah, we had a structure of we were one of their units, but we stayed in five airborne. Um, I think one of the squadrons would sometimes do some of the setting up, but they weren't really involved. So yeah. the, the OC9 reported straightly into the brigade um, right. ra- rather than a CO. I mean, it was a bit of a, on paper, it was, it was, we were independent, really. In reality, sorry, we were independent, but on paper, we were part of 3-6. Um, oh, okay, it just got to the point where they realised we haven't got enough of these guys. And great news, I think that you know they they formed two, three parachute engineer regiment and you yeah. know took on the uh, the other parachute squadron five one that we're both very familiar with. And uh, yeah, yeah, that was going to be my next question, mate. Was so back then, mate. Was was nine squadron? Was you struggling for blocks? 
Like, was the numbers not really... I mean, was you so busy or was it just guys wasn't coming through the system quick enough? Um, well, it wasn't so much that. It was the fact of that you'd, you'd have, like... We'd only have a, a troop um, on to, to a battalion. You know, whereas, you know, you know yourself, that we would... We, we would... Um, have a squadron to to you know what I mean to, to battalion in, in our time, so right, we just right. didn't have enough guys to sort of like do things. It just couldn't be effective enough. Yeah. Um. So we just realised we needed more airborne sappers. So yeah. The, the birth of two three was for um the Iraq Optelic. Uh, it was created for that. Yeah. Uh, in your kind of like, let's say, early on, like, nine squadron when, you know, as we kind of discussed, it's it's not independent on paper, but, you know, you're kind of operating as a, a troop level. What what kind of stuff were you getting into, mate, back then? Like, what was what was the uh, tempo like? Was it busy? Was Yeah, yeah, it was know? always busy, yeah. Was, um, I mean, there's a lot of brigade exercises then that seemed to be on because there seemed to be more money for the military to do training. Right. Um, so we did a lot of, of, of training, Um and then you know there was a lot of things like going to Kenya's and uh, yeah. Canada and you know Belize was was quite common. Yeah. They used to come around a lot. Yeah. Um, and then really that until the sort of the Bosnia thing kicked off, that's how the sort of military appeared. But I mean, my first operational tour was to Rwanda um, right. in '94. Um, but and then after that, I just remember it was just a constant flow of tours. You know, finish one, start another, and. Uh, that's how life was. <laughs> were them were them tours kind of shorter, mate? Like compared to like the modern ones that we're you know aware of, or people kind of probably know more about. Like, what was the time frame on them? No, the tours are always it's always the army's the British army's always sort of based itself around the six months because they, oh, okay. they think that that's uh, because I know the Americans do longer. But the, yeah. the Brits these six months is of a period of, of where you can give it all. And then come back and be replaced by someone else, because otherwise people get fatigued um, yeah. and then make, make, start making mistakes. So that's the British theory of it. Whether they do a six month, uh... yeah, man. I know we've kind of gone a little bit forward. I just want to ask one question. So on P Company, was there anything on Test Week that you was like, ah, I'm not too sure about this, or were you just kind of rolling through like I'm ready for this? I'm. Uh, well, it's obviously very hard. Um, yeah, uh, but. You know, all of it, it was what it was. It took each day as it came. But yeah. looking, back, looking back on it, the hardest thing I found for some reason was the log race. Right. Um, now, I don't know. I think, and a lot of that, I think, it depends on how you're set up. I don't yeah. know if the, the lad opposite me was <laughs> taller, shorter, whatever it was. But right. I, I felt like my kidney was going to fall out of my back. It, just, <laughs> it was just, <laughs> it was just yeah. so uncomfortable. And it, and it was such a brutal event. I mean, I remember yeah. um, the log, there was a log, in front of us, um, you know, because obviously I think it was about six logs or whatever it was that was running, yeah. and the, there was an, there was an officer on the on the log in front. You could tell them because they used to wear the white t-shirts, uh, yeah. so they stood out. And he fell, you know, he, he creamed in and fell, and he was still attached because obviously you have your hand locked in in the, the toggle. Yeah. And he was he was basically trampled on by his log, and it was just in front of our log, and there was nowhere we could go. And then we smashed over him as well, so he, he got like a double trampling, and he, uh, he, um, that was that was I think that was his last day. He was just absolutely like been 
Yeah. Tripping over by a load of horses. But uh, yeah, it was a, a brutal thing, a long race. Yeah, I think the cool thing, um, well, just for everyone who's listening who's maybe, maybe never heard of P Company, I'm going to put a link onto a YouTube video. I know there's one that was done like back in the day and it'll kind of give you a visual. But a lot of the tests, they, they relate to some sort of like, whether you're on the battlefield, there's some sort of like visual way, like, okay, this is why we're doing this test. So the log race, and correct me if I'm wrong, Clyde, it's, you know, what is it to replicate getting ammunition yeah, or like is, yeah. some sort of gun up to the front? Yeah. ASAP, like, you know, we're in a we're in a firefight or the guys are in a firefight and we need to get those, these supplies to them as fast as possible. Otherwise, you know, they're going to be, in, you know, in for it. And it's, what is it, between six to eight guys on a log, you know, four on each side or three on each side. And then with the log, so you, you loop your hand through a rope and then you ain't coming off that log. Like you can't change arms. So hopefully you get your strongest side or the side that you're comfortable with. And what is it? I think is it, well, they call it the two miler, but I think officially it's 1.8 miles over undulating terrain, you know, rolling hills. And then each log, you have a DS with you who's, you know, directing staff. He's on the course, taking you through. And they are just shouting at you. It's aggressive. It's like, get this log moving. They're constantly watching you. And I know one of the rules that I remember is, if you wasn't leaning forward at the waist and you're kind of hanging back because you're trying to recover in the moment, you get, was it two or three warnings maybe? Yeah, and you pulled off. Yeah, and you pulled off the log. And I know I went into P companies getting told like, hey, do not come off the log. Like, do not come off the log. Like, that's one of the big ones. And I know there's a few people that came off and have, you know, still went on to join. But I just remember, like, do not come off the log. And like you said, yeah, I just remember my arm about to fall off, just busting a <laughs> gut. But uh, luckily, mate, my log was pretty good. Everyone finished. So it kind of, right. the workload got got shared. But I remember seeing some logs with, like, two guys just, like, just coming in, like, absolutely dangling. Just think, I was just remember thinking, oh, I'm glad I went on their log type of thing. But um, yeah, for me, mate, the biggest one that I was actually scared of, and I had trouble with it in a pre-para, um, was the uh, trinasium. Right. It was, um, I don't know what it is, mate. It's, well, again, I'm not savvy at heights, and I'm, and I'm still, I've got a lot better now. But, mate, once I got on them bars, I'd get the, I'd get the old disco leg, and right. inside, I'm like, oh, you, like, you know, effing sort yourself out. Like, let's just get over this bar. And that was the one day I was dreading. And luckily, I got to practice it a couple times, you know, got through, built up that confidence. But honestly, on the day, mate, I was inside, I didn't show it, but I was like, as, if I get past this, I'm good. Like, I'm going to pass P Company because physically I was in good shape. But yeah, once I did, once I got past the Trinasian, which I think was one of the, it was the second test on the first day you know thankfully i got through it you know no no issues that's when i came down and it's almost like that relief you know like i was like Whew, all right rest of it's just fizz you know like i'm i'm good at that just i've been doing it we've been practicing it but yeah the trinasium was the one for me mate just the shuffle bars but uh, and then i bet you did you do it mate back when there was no because i actually we had the safety net did you do it uh, when there was no uh, safety net there must there must have been some sort of anything in place it was in older shot when i did it right yeah um because i know it did move up to catrick yeah, eventually yeah catrick uh, yeah but there was a time when that they used to bust them down and they did it on a saturday morning because right. the, the tunisian was still in older shot and obviously it wasn't um practical to do it when the guys were doing the course in catrick and they used to bust them down on a saturday do the tunisian and then bust them back. <laughs> oh, what what a weekend <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
That's cool. Um, mate, well, again, just to touch on, you know, you so obviously successful at, you know, passing P company, you know, did you do the parade? Uh, was it the same, mate, where, you, you know, you get issued the maroon beret? Uh, no, when I did it, it was, it, again, it was a little bit brutal. You're all a okay. number um, rather than with a name. And they just went through number one, if, it was still, if he was still there. Yeah. And, and, and the, the guy would stand up and go, sir, and he'd go, pass. Number two, sir, fail. And it was as easy as that. And I was, I was number yeah. 23. So 23, yeah. pass, Yes, that, that was it. Yeah, yeah, I remember it was. Yeah, it's kind of the same. Mate. Same with us. You'd go well, whoever was remaining, then numbers. Same thing. I was number fourteen. Same when it got to me, fourteen. So yeah, pass. But then there was an officer that issue you. You know, like give you your bearing, you put it on on the parade square, right. and then. Um, I kind of did a I did a short podcast episode about this um, kind of like the standards. But one thing I remember was so you know you get your maroon berry again. You know you're, you're, there's that euphoria. You're like man, I've you know I've made it. I've passed this course. You know I'm, this is where I want to be. Uh, we went into you know the bar afterwards, and we, you know having a few drinks. They're handing out awards for the, you know the top recruit, and you know the the, the what is it the, the the person who'd improved the most that type of stuff. And there were some funny ones. But again, I remember the sergeant major, don't, I can't remember his name now, but he was like, right, everyone listen in. You know, the bar quiets down. He's like, lads, just want to want you to know, you know, where you're at now and the units that you go to, this is the minimum standard. Like where you're at now physically, do not like rest on your laurels and think you've made it. Like you, you this is just the beginning. When you get to your squadrons or your unit, you're all, this is, like I said, you're only going to be expected to do even more things. And I always remember that kind of thing. It stuck with me, you know, like the minimum yeah. standard that's required. And, you, you know, you should never go below that type of thing. Yeah, I think I had something very similar. I think that, that's something that's passed on through the generations, I think. This yeah. is the start of it. This is the standard that we require in this brigade. And, and, and that's it. This is day one of what you need to do. And, and I think it's good. It's the right mindset. And I think we, we all take that on. So we... Yeah. I mean, it's um, we all know the score, and I think that's what helps the guys gel together very well. Yeah, mate. Um, so f when you got to your squadron, I know we spoke about a few of the tours and stuff like that. Um, when you got, you know, obviously got onto the ladder, as in, you know, with a promotion, you know, from you know Sapper to Lance Corporal and Corporal. Um, without going past, I don't want to touch on the staff side and stuff yet, because I've got some questions for that. But um, what what was the best? What, well, what rank did you enjoy the most, mate? Like, kind of prior to becoming like a staffy. Uh, I probably probably full screw. Um, yeah, it was my second favourite. Yeah. yeah, and and just so so people understand, as a full screw um, within a troop, you're basically in charge of a section. So you have a section of guys. Is it like ten to twelve blokes, depending? Well, usually a bit smaller. Eight, oh, eight, 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 eight-ish, yeah. yeah. Possibly could be ten, but usually eight. Yeah, and and, and as a and as a corporal or full screw, you're their guy. Like you're, they're your men. You know, you look after them. You know, they look up to. You know, they kind of listen to you. Type of thing. Is that how it was? Yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, did you did you get to do any like cool stuff as a corporal where you was kind of like you know like leading men and you know into things or maybe on some exercises or tours that maybe stand out? Uh, yeah, yeah, I did 
Yeah, I went to uh, tour wise. Went to Northern Ireland, went to Sierra Leone. Right. We did a did a big chemical clearance job on Port and Down, um, which went pretty well. That was you know dealing with some quite nasty stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I had a good and again I did loads of exercises and you know just did did some good stuff. I mean I did I did a lot of parachuting around then as well. Um, so, yeah. yeah, one thing we again we jumped. I will jump back, mate. So you said when you passed P Company, you got to use well. Obviously, you're part of nine para because that's you know the, for the Royal Engineer side of things with the airborne. And you said you got straight onto your jumps course. Yeah, yeah. Basically, I finished yeah. P Company on the, the Thursday, Friday, whatever it is. Went back to the unit, and then I went straight to Bryce Norton um, on that Sunday uh, to start my jumps course. Um, yeah, and. And I think I remember stories, mate, but, um, and I'll let you tell it, but you, on that jumps course, mate, was your first jump, was it the balloon? The it should have been. It should have oh. been, yeah. But, but on my course, uh, the balloon was the first jump that we used to do, but for some reason it didn't happen. The weather was off or it was a fault with it. So we did our, this is, this is quite um, nifty, actually. So we did our seven Herc jumps first. Right, um, right. Including by then, we'd done sim sticks, we'd jumped at night, and then our last one, our qualifier, was the balloon. Um, <laughs> and we had a refusal. Yeah. Um, a guy refused, having done seven jumps out of a Herc. Wow. Uh, he, he refused to jump out of the balloon. So was it, it, was, it was a good good man test, the balloon, for the first time he did. Yeah. Even, even so, thinking back now, mate, was. is. Compared to the Herc, like you'd done the Herc jumps and then you got to the balloon yourself, was you even just a little bit like, whoa, oh, this yeah. is different? Yeah, 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 yeah very different. Because obviously the, the Herc, the hustle and bustle that goes on in the back, it's yeah. noisy, it's, um, you, you, you know what I mean? There's a lot going on, it's fast, it's turbulent, and you're all behind each other. Unless you're number one in the door, you can't see a lot until you come to the door uh, yeah. to, to then jump out. But the balloon, you're in that little cage and you just it's just... Yeah, as you go up, and you go up on a winch, and then instead of all that stuff, it's, it's clean fatigue. So there's no equipment. There's less to do. You just hooked in, and the PGIs are like, ah, number one, and you come, and you just walk towards this empty space, uh, and then it's like ah, I don't care who you are. The first time you do it, you have a million points of contact uh, yeah. with everything you can get hold of. <laughs> Is it and then? Sorry, but I was, when you said you walk forward to a space, is it like one side of the, almost like the basket that you're in is missing, or is it like a gear? Um, yeah, there's a gate in the middle at the front, and you're, the four, it's four of you at a time in the four corners. Right. Uh, and then you just you make your way to where the PGI is stood by this, it's just a metal bar that goes across, and he pulls the yeah. bar out of the way, and he goes, in you come, and it's, it's the command is both hands across your reserve, go, and then you just jump off the end. And whereas in in the Herc you you hit the slipstream, so you just get battered about in that. In yeah, the balloon, yeah. you just obviously just sink like a stone until your your chute opens. Yeah, a bit of like free falling almost. Uh, yeah, sort of. Yeah, yeah. You just drop. Yeah, yeah. It's just yeah. yeah. So yeah, it was different. Um, and I, I did it a couple more times after I, I qualified, um, but it went out of service in I want to say '93. Yeah, three ninety four, possibly the latest, because we changed shoots from the PX four to a low level parachute, 
Oh, okay, uh, so they actually was, changed. Yeah, and, and then the balloon sort of, that was the end of it, really. They brought in the Sky Van that, that you obviously know. Yeah, and then, mate, so, I, I don't know if you know, mate, but just because I don't know this, but, uh, like, was the uh, was the a pro to the balloon, or was it just kind of like, it's what they did back then? Like, was there a reason why they did the balloon? Uh, I don't, you asked, I'm not 100% sure. If I no, come out, I'm just, just trying to sort of half yeah, it's guess just something. A, but, okay. no, I don't know, just for a, to say for a fact, no. Yeah, yeah. It was just in at the time, pretty much, that he was fortunate to do. I think it was just for a training purposes, I suppose. They could use the balloon, and it was more of a controlled environment. Right, right. Um, and then, you know, you could watch people coming down, you could watch the drills of what they were doing, but... Yes. It was... Yeah, it was definitely a bit more full-on than, than the Herc for, for the first yeah. time. So you've done it a, once you've done it a couple of times, then you've done it, you know what I mean? But yeah, yeah. initially, it was... Yeah, it was a bit of a white knuckler. <laughs> yeah, I remember, um, so on my jumps course, mate, I had to wait a little bit, but I was kind of fortunate, which I'll touch on later on, we did the squadron boxing. So we kind of, I got a little bit fast-tracked for them times. And um, mate, I was number one on the in the stick of my first jump. So, you know, I've got my hand on the door, door lifts up, like you said, and a lot of people, and I tell them, you know, I the way I say it, mate, is, don't get me wrong, it was amazing and it was fun. But it's not the glamorous jumping as what, you know, like you kind of like see civilians doing like skydivers and stuff. It's not, you know, you just like one moment you're up in the sky, you're jumping out in whatever you want to wear and you're landing nicely on your feet. Like military parachuting, it's it's very kind of, I don't know, like rough and just, you know, kind of it can be pretty brutal, whether it's, you know, on your body, the the amount of weight you carry and that type of stuff. So it's, it's not like you're going for a jolly, you know, until you're like in the air. That's kind of like the nicest part for me. But um, yeah, I was first in the door you know, waiting, red lights on, so I'm, you know, bracing, I'm getting ready. And then the uh, the PGI looks at me and he, he has like, he holds out his hand and he's like blowing and he's going, Whoosh. and then he's, I think he was like doing like, uh, you know, as if to say, it's not on, it's not on. And, and I'm looking at him, it's my first time and I'm not going to lie, disco legs, literally, I'm just holding it like it's <laughs> about to go. And I'm like, when am I, when am I jumping? Like, when's this green light? And um, he's like, oh, no, it's, it's too windy. It's too windy. So I was like, what the hell? Like, you know, you, I built myself up. So door comes back down. They do a big loop. And then fortunately on the second time, I had to you know, build myself back up again to like, right, you're going out this door. And then, yeah, fortunately, you know, the red light came on, green light, and, you know, the rest is history. I, you know, hit the slipstream. And then, man, after that first one, uh, I don't know if you can remember this. I tell people, it's like, I say, have you ever been on a roller coaster where your adrenaline's super high and you're super scared, but then afterwards you're like, hell yeah, I want to do that now. I want to go back yeah. on. That's That was me after my first jump. I was like, wow, I want. I can't wait to get back in and do another one. Yeah, no, yeah. I'd say, yeah, I think that's the, the same for most. Yeah. Most people have that experience. Yeah, that's cool, mate. Um, so then, fast forward, so... You, you know, you, you uh, just for people that know, once you complete the like the British uh, military like jumps course, you know, you have again just a little. I know I did like a small parade, and you get issued your you know the the wings that you wear on your right shoulder, and that's kind of a big deal. I know in the modern like army now, because there's quite a lot of lads, unfortunately, that they'll pass P company and they'll be at the units, but just because of you know whether it's logistics, um, you know the number of planes, budgets. You know, you can find a lot of lads waiting around for maybe even years and they don't have the wings. But, mate, how proud were you when you finally got the wings and, you know, you kind oh, of yeah. fully, no, no, fully I was over, pledged? Over the moon. 
Yeah. And, and going back to what we said earlier, um, one of the first people I had to go and meet was Jim Moyer. You know, the guy who was my son. Okay. He, was he was still at Chepstow as a sergeant major. Yeah. You know, when I popped in, you know, with my maroon on and with yeah, his yeah. on my arm and all that. Boom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and no, I was over the moon. That was a big, big thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then and then you kind of get to the troop, don't you? And uh, you're almost, you're at the bottom of the pile again for a little bit until you kind of That's prove right, your yeah. worth to the lads. You knew um, Yeah, what... Mate, with, with you know, within reason, is there any uh, stories you can maybe tell us about when you first got to the troop and you're like, you know, you're the new guy, what type of stuff went on there, mate, just so people can understand it? Well, I think it's the same in, in a lot of work environments. As, as a new guy, you sort of get a little bit of, of extra grief. But I think for, for, for me at the time, because we had like, because we'd all left Chepstow at the same time. Right. And all gone. And there was a big influx of us. There was about... Okay probably 15 and in, in, came into the squadron in a very short space of time. Um, so though I was the new guy, I was one of six or seven new guys, you know what I mean? So it, it wasn't um, quite as, uh, as harsh. Apart yeah. from the fact that I joined, the, there was only the, um, it always changed, it was, it was lead parachute battle group, then it became ABTF. You know what, the, 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 the uh, less readiness on the quick readiness oh, yeah. at the time. Yeah. They keep they always they change the name of it anyway. But I we got put into that, all the new guys, the the main body was was in Belize uh, on a on a six month tour. So we got a, sort of established in and then luckily for me I stayed in that same troop, but some of them got put into other troops and then became the new bloke all over again sort of six months down the line. So Yeah. But but I mean the same same things was happening then as you know people playing little tricks on you as uh, as did for, for yourself and as did for the guy who passed yesterday you know what I mean it's uh, it's just the nature of humans isn't it yeah um, so mate when you you mentioned you went back to well Jib what, what what rank were you then when you went back to Jib Barracks as an instructor a, a sergeant. Oh, sergeant, yeah. So, how long was that, mate? No, I wasn't there long. I was there ten months. Okay. Um, I just ran a couple of troops, um, and then, uh, um, and then I, then I came to five one. So it was just just yes. for a short period. And then in that time, so um, yeah, so two two three. So, so people understand now, like, well, obviously the demand for the airborne um, engineers had, you know, increased. Obviously, I don't know the political or the big reasons, like, who actually made it happen. But then there was a regiment formed, which was two free engineer regiment. Then within that regiment, there was a new base down at Woodbridge, um, which was down in Suffolk, not far from Ipswich. Um, and then there was two squadrons. You had, well, nine para squadron obviously was still there because they was the original. And then you had five, one para squadron. And then was it, it was 12 HQ. That was like the HQ element. Yeah. And, and then, at the time there was a, there was a support squadron six one, but yep. they've now, now they've restructured and dropped off now. They're not in it anymore. So, okay. It's down to the yeah. three, the HQ and the two power squadrons. Right. And then I remember it. Yeah. So that's kind of like where I kind of 
caught up with or like cross paths with you the first time was yeah so i i again gone through similar to what we spoke about with already with the uh, clyde has touched on i'd done you know basic training gone through jib i actually had to go to chatham to do my trade so i spent a year down in chatham doing uh, electrician and then that's when i finally because i'd already volunteered then i was waiting to get onto p company and then went on to p company passed and then that's when i ended up going down to two three five one uh parachute squadron was the uh squadron that i got sent to and then i was fortunate to come across clyde for the first time who was the one troop staffy and that was going to be my troop um man i don't know if you remember this uh funny story i think i think it was even the first official day that i was going to be at the troop uh let's say working day because i think i'd met you previously just to like quickly introduce myself and then um i think we was going on the ranges and I monged it and I slept in by about, I don't know, like five, 10 minutes. And I just, I was still in the uh, Normandy troop block. I, I wasn't in the block as in what you get when you're in the troop. So I remember just, you know, like you do panic mode. I was at a thousand feet, just flapping. I remember running down the uh, the parade square and I think you and I can't remember, one of the other lads were just like stood there, you know, like, oh, here he is. And I just remember <laughs> in my head thinking, oh, what an introduction to the troop. But, mate, one of the best things I know, and we'll touch on this a little bit more, well, yeah, you know, I I don't, I don't even think I really got shouted at. It was just like, right, get on the bus. You got all your stuff. Yeah, yeah, stuff. Got on my bu- got on the bus, went down there. And it was like, right, you know, you're going to be carrying this. You're going to be carrying that. And then I think uh, in between some of the shoots, it was like, oh, you see the, whatever, the 300 meter bun? Yeah, go there and come back or, you know, grab this, grab that, you know. And so it was a little bit of a beasting, like a learning lesson. But the good thing, mate, was, Honestly, like after that, it was done. It was like water under the bridge. Obviously, like, yeah, don't do it again, you mong. Make sure you set your alarm or whatever. But it was like, yeah, that's it. It's done. There was no hard feelings. Um, so I kind of, yeah, I like that. It was a kind of good intro to the troop. <laughs> but um, at that time, mate, so yeah, you was the staff sergeant of the troop. And yeah, how, how was that for you, mate, at that time of your career? Um, you know, was that like a high point? Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt, and it, it sounds a little bit cliche because we're talking about stuff that we were together, but for me, it was the best bit I did in the army. I mean, I, yeah. I was fortunate. Um, I mean, before I came to the troop, uh, Matt Burks was a troop commander, and uh, about a week before, one troop that folded it, that that had um, two and three troop in five one, and one troop had ceased to exist. So Matt got there the week before me. And then we created one troop out of nothing, giving guys out of the other two troops, uh, right. and and built what I would describe as an as an awesome set of people. Um, went on two tricky Afghan tours, Herrick Four and Herrick Eight. Um, developed this uh, this this new bunch of guys, and obviously I'll be sound biased, but we, we were the the best troop in that regiment, um, and it was a fantastic time for my career. Absolutely loved it. Um, definitely the high point. It was better than being the Sergeant Major, which on on paper sounds like it, it should be um, the better bit of my career. The highlight, it sounds, saying it was Sergeant Major was great, but as far as time spent being the troop staff sergeant at 5 1 was absolute phenomenal days. Yeah, because again, you know, I was, I was a sapper at the time. So, you know, I'm at the bottom of the food chain really, but you know, it's just do what, you know, do your job basically. And then obviously, you know, follow the command of, you know, whether it's the staffy, you know, and then your section commanders. But, um, I think 
it's got I have thoughts, mate, and I'm like, man, I'd probably be a staffy now, you know, if I was still in or, you know, mate, who knows, maybe one rank high, but I'd definitely be a staffy, I'd like to think. And I just kind of miss, I always think, man, what if, you know, like, like I said, you've got that great opportunity to just basically instill some standards, you know, be around the lads and, I don't know, like help them grow, you know, kind of like from where you was and, you know, stuff, like, just be a leader. I think that really that's the thing, isn't it? You're a leader of the troop as a staff sergeant. Yeah, well, you're the experienced guy, aren't you? And that, yeah. I was the oldest by you know, quite a few years and um, no, it was good. It's good to pass on the experience to others and it's good to learn. We still learn from others as well. People get things yeah. right. They say, oh, that's bang on. And we'll adopt that into how we do things. And no, it, was, it, it's, it was great. It was just great to be in that. And we did some great stuff to be you know, massively proud of. It was a, uh, it's quality. It's like you know, I'm I'm in my current role and that people are complaining about the heat and that um, in in the UK. And I was yeah. like, well, you know, is it this? You know, are you carrying this? Are you being shot at? Are you worried about IEDs? No, let's let's not get too bothered about it being thirty degrees Celsius. You know, this is not that much to be concerned about. So, yeah, I remember um, one of the things which has physically stuck with me is and uh, i kind of thank you for that is i remember at this outside the troop office was the uh the old pain frame and <laughs> yeah. i remember what was it every morning we had to do 10 pull-ups and i think in the afternoon we all had to we all lined up as a troop and we had to do 15 dips or was it 16 i yeah. think it was like the part yes. of the divers that's right yeah, i think of, it was 10 and 16 yeah yeah, and mate, I'm, until this day, I can still jump on a pull-up bar, bang out a good, you know, few sets of good quality pull-ups. Uh, you know, dips have never left me since then. And yeah, it's kind of like, again, like you said, mate, standards that you've instilled and you had the opportunity, you know, they've fed through to, you know, like people like me and many others. And yeah, it's stuff that, you know, it's, it's going to last a lifetime, really. And I know that's just one aspect as in the physical thing, but I don't think no other troop did stuff like that. Um, nah, nah. But I think as well, we, we did the language bit with that as well. Um, yeah. Remember that, you know, this is another bit we did, but yeah, no, it, and was, then, it, was, it was great times. And just to touch on that, mate, since I brought it up is when, because you was a qualified diver, mate, too, within the Royal Engineers. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, when, yeah. Uh, when, how, like, how early on did you do that in the career, mate? Uh, I did it as a, the basic course as a Lance Corporal, and then the, the, the advance quite soon after, um, about 18 months later, I think it was still a Lance Corporal, and then for different things going on, I didn't have the opportunity to do the supervisor's course till I was a sergeant. Right. Um, but yeah, yeah, so I went through the, the three dive courses that the Corps had to offer as well. Yeah, that's, that's not a bad lob either, is it? Because I know, well, obviously, being airborne and obviously jump qualified, you get an extra pay per day. And then I know the diver guys, you got an even extra, you know, even more pay for being diver qualified. So it's uh, it's not bad for you, for your bank balance at the end of the month. Yeah, it was. It was obviously an incentive was the pay, but it was also, again, it was it was a good crack because it was, yeah. it was only sort of 25, 30 guys or whatever that was in the dive team. And it, again, it was just another bunch of blokes. Sometimes you had to work quite hard with the stuff you did, but it was, a, you know, generally a good laugh. And yeah, that's and a lot of background is, you know, the, the good laughs. Oh yeah, and um, 
mate, just to kind of touch on that is like, if you could even put a number on it, mate, like how, how many, how many hours have you spent diving? Just to kind of give some people an insight. Uh, I think about 300 hours I spent underwater. Right. Um, which, which is, I mean, like the dive in as such is a lot to set up and briefs and safety uh, stuff that goes on. But you physically get logged in as you leave the surface and then you get logged out as you come back up. Okay, but, yeah. So, but yeah, I think I had, I had over 300 hours of dive time and a, and a couple of hundred hours supervision as well. Yeah. Mate, in, in your time as a diver or maybe like even as you got to the supervisor level, is the, if you, I mean, if you could obviously talk about it, but is what was like the most interesting dive or just a situation where you was like, man, if I was never this, if I was never qualified, I wouldn't be here right now doing this. Uh, was there anything just unique? I think a one unique diver did once. I did something for the police in Haverford West, which is south, for the southwest Wales, for, uh, just to give people an idea where it is. We drove it all the way to out in the middle of nowhere. It was nowhere near where our unit was based. It was a long drive. And we went there looking for a, um, a shotgun. There's some local um, baddie as such has been um, armed robbery and old people and that they reckon they might have dropped something down a well. So right. this this well was, it was like it had a rickety, old battered um, ladder to get in and out, um, which was missing rungs and all sorts. So I with all my gear on, I was like, I'd clipped up to a Land Rover and then on round the top of the well and climbed down this rickety uh, stairwell to the water and then the water was about 10 metres deep. You know, trying to find this shotgun in the bottom and <laughs> the way that they were gonna, if, if they needed to casivat me out, was to drive the Land Rover like, and you know, I'd have been come up oh. like, somewhat like a cartoon to the top. <laughs> <laughs> like literally pull you up by yeah, driving yeah. out. Yeah, but look, uh, luckily, um, Nothing bad went wrong with it, but yeah, that was quite an interesting dive. Uh, and some of the deep stuff, we went down to sort of 50 metres, a long way up and down. Uh, it was pretty good. Dived on some wrecks, um, dived in Belize, dived in Cyprus, which was quite interesting. Because uh, a lot of the stuff we do, like being in some of the rivers, the Tyne, for example, in Newcastle is, was the dirtiest. Um, you couldn't see your nose end. It was, that, it was just like a complete blackout. Right, right. Yes, um, it's, so not all of it's like, yeah, like what people may be thinking, uh, tropical diving, you know, nah, nah, tropical fish. Nah, nah. Nah, nah. I've dived under the ice as well. That was quite interesting. Oh. Uh, um, in uh, Bosnia and um, in northern Germany. Um, you have to break your way through the ice, the ice hole and, and dive under that. That's quite good. And then, mate, what, if there's a little bit, uh, sorry, for people to imagine too, did you, as engineers, mate, and obviously diving, did you guys, I think I know, like, but did you get hands-on tools? Like, did you have to use tools under there or do anything like that? Yeah, yeah, we used hydraulic tools. Uh, oh. We did demolitions again, uh, did concrete in, uh, buoyancy stuff, um, yeah, and just, and just general bit of work. A, bit like, a lot of it was like often dexterity tasks, Sometimes it's just for you know, training purposes, but yeah. um, you know, making scaffolds and that underwater and nil vis with a little bit of current is quite hard work. It's tricky. Everything has to be tied off and you have to move things and everything's tied and 
easy to get tangled up. It's, um, yeah, I can, yeah, I can kind of to build a picture, mate. Is what maybe like I don't know, like I said, let's say if you ended up in space, you know, you see the astronauts floating around. There's all these probably things that you'll never have to worry about on the surface, but it's kind of like, oh, right, like you said, we need to tie certain things down so they don't get washed away or, you know, just all the summit that you'd never ever think about really unless you were in that situation. Yeah, 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 I suppose a reasonable similar comparison. Mate, uh, yeah, that's awesome, man. And then um, we've said, yeah, so like back to the troop stuff, mate. Um, so again, I remember... When I got to uh, one troop, um, mate, again, a big highlight that stood out to me, mate, was it was part of, I think Afghan obviously was, you know, in full flow by that point. I know you mentioned as the troop staffy, you'd been out already to Herrick 4. And I think we were getting geared up to, you know, for Herrick 8. Um, and obviously, so we had our, you know, like our training plan already mapped out. And then, mate, do you remember the, on the Southern Coast? I can't remember exactly where it was. Where we had to do that was it like a twenty-five miler? Yeah, South Downs, I think. Wasn't it? But yeah, I do, think, I do remember it. Yeah, yeah, I think that was like one of the first biggest for me, mate. Um, you know, it might. I mean, I don't know if it was a big deal for you, but it was for me. I think that was one of my first kind of proving points to the troop, where you know, like, um, I think obviously we started with the whole troop. I know, I think it was like in a squadron mini competition, who can get around the fastest. But uh, I think by the end of it, there was only like five of us left who managed to like get all the way around as a troop. I think there was you, uh, obviously the the uh, troopy at the time, and then myself, and I think like maybe like two or three other lads. And I think that was my intro. Uh, and I was thinking about it today when I was on my run, where I got gifted the uh, LMG. It was like, oh, Benny, you're you're now our LMG gunner because I. It's almost like I'd prove myself, you know, that I'd, I've got the fitness to, you know, handle that because it's, you know, like slightly heavier, you're carrying more equipment. So I, I kind of wore that like a badge of honour. Like I, I actually enjoyed being, you know, the LMG gunner, uh, you know, a little bit more firepower. And just, just because of that whole event, mate, it meant so much to me that I was like, oh, I've, I've earned this. It's not, I'm just getting given it because I'm the new guy. So um, I remember that was a big one. And then I spoke about this with some other people um, and you'll probably, re well, definitely remember this because it was on your orders when we was living in on the base and every everything we did for about six months, we had to live in our body armour yeah. as, a, as a troop. And uh, it was just kind of like building up that whole conditioning as in like where it's mentally, physically getting ready for when we hit the ground in Afghan. Um, on, on them notes there, mate, was that stuff that you'd experienced yourself that you'd kind of like, oh, this works? Or was it just like, once you got into that position as the staff sergeant, you was like, okay, I'm going to implement some of these for my guys and I know it's going to make us a better troop? Um, I don't know, I think you pick ideas up in life as you go through. and Some some of them are made up myself, some of them I've seen to other people's. But um, I think it is, you know, that idea of, or oh, train hard, fight easy. So make mm -hmm. everything difficult as such. So you're never going to make it more harder when you're under further pressure. Yeah. Um, so when you are under, you know, as in being shot at or whatever it could be, you've you've already prepared for it as best you can. And that yeah. was sort of like my my game plan of all that. Um, just wanted this. We were always going to be wearing body armor and that, and it, it is awful stuff to keep on for a prolonged period. Um, so you need to be used to it, really. 
Um, so you do oh, yeah. see lads who are, you know, guys who go to the gym and they look super fit and they do this and they do that. But once you sort of like take a few hours sleep off on the night and make it really hot, really cold, or make the conditions difficult, some people don't hack it. So there's, there's a lot more to it. It's the mental in inner strength, I would say, as much as the physical strength that that puts people to the test. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm kind of big on it, mate, now, especially since I got out of the military. But it's that I use the word suffering, mate, within reason. You know, like you don't you don't always want to make yourself, you know, just constantly suffering. But I think if you expose yourself to harsher environments and, like I said, ultimately create something that where you kind of experience that suffering, once you get used to it like you said you're more acclimated to when the real deal happens or like again you may be training for some sort of event that you're like oh i've I've kind of i've experienced a little bit of this i know what this is about and i, yeah. and I think it it can kind of like you said it can kind of give you all the all like as you were doing it give the give us the lads as a like a like a, an advantage for when we do come to the serious moments um mate when when you was Kind of like behind the scenes, mate. So again, I know in this time, I, you know, I'm just a sapper. I'm getting, you know, getting told what to do. We're doing this training. You know, I, I'm just looking at you as the staff sergeant, and you're, you know, you, you know, you're kind of telling us what we're doing and everything, taking care of us. But mate, behind the scenes, let's just say behind closed doors, um, what what was the biggest burden for you, or what was on your mind that? potentially you'd never let any of us think or even know about it but maybe like sometimes when you're you know before you go to sleep at night you know like are you worrying about all of the lads are you like man have we, have we done this have we done that are they good is everyone good to go was was the all that stuff happening mate that we'd probably never even be aware of at the time uh no i would have had faith that the lads were good enough that was never a concern i think it was it's the so what that you couldn't control Someone yeah. getting hurt, badly hurt or killed was was always the biggest concern. Um, and luckily, no one got severe. I mean, the catch obviously got hurt, but um, no one got killed and no one got you know badly hurt I mean, to a point of disfigured or lost full limbs or anything like that. So yeah. that, that was always my concern, really. And, but there's nothing you can do about that. You just have to hope it all goes well. But the guys were well trained, they were well drilled, disciplined, and, and I knew for a fact that everybody had everybody's back. So we we were as good as we could be um, to deal with whatever we had to deal with. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, mate, since, again, since I've known you, again, you know, turn up to the squadron, um, I use the word, and I know sometimes it can get thrown about, but, um, mate, you, you were just always an absolute machine. And just for people who are listening uh, in the well in the British Army talk, when you use the word machine for describing someone, it's literally like this person's made of metal, and in a physical standpoint, a stance, sorry, like they're just they smash through everything, and whatever the mission is or the physical challenge, they're going to be there and pretty much leading the way, and you're just like you might be like gassing, 
trying to struggling for air and you just look across and again mate not just because you're on the podcast but you know you you led from the front man like you said you was the staff sergeant you're the oldest guy in the troop i remember i was a young whippersnapper and thought i was pretty good at running and somehow you'd always like i might speed off and kind of be in front of you at some point but you would always just literally clawed me down and i'd always be thinking like how like how <laughs> does it and Mate, when did, I mean, obviously the military, same, I've spoke about it, it's moulded us as, you know, for fitness because it's part of your job, like role and responsibility. You need to be fit and robust. But, um, mate, when did fitness become the thing for you or when was you always good at fitness? I've, I've always trained hard, I think, rather than necessarily be naturally good. Um, right. I mean, obviously I had bad days as much as anyone else. And I was, maybe I didn't see it, but I was breathing out my ears, you know what I mean? But... Um, <laughs> I don't know, I think it's always important and the, the thing is with, with fitness it's like you could you can get issued kit or you could buy something but you can't buy fitness you have to yeah. continually work at it and be on on top of your game you know what I mean and if you if you take your foot off the gas you stop concentrating it stop doing it allow your standards to slip and it's hard to get it back so you just got to continually maintain it and be on it and I think from a young age because it's like into the junior army way if you were fit in the troop in your training troop life's easier if you're unfit right. you, you're just going to be uh, potentially picked on by the staff and, and you're deemed out to be sort of weaker and life's harder so if you're fit as fit as you can be life's easier if that makes sense oh yeah definitely yeah and i think especially in the in the like the army the environment you know that you're operating especially you know a squadron like you know uh, five one or you know two three years and uh, a regiment yeah i mean fitness was you know like you had to be robust and physically strong and just basically being able to carry out tasks like whatever got was asked to you whether it was building bridges in the middle of an exercise like i said being camp fit like you couldn't there was no excuses like oh i've just been on six weeks leave it was like no this is the minimum standard and if you're not up to this you know we're gonna basically you know give you some extracurricular activities to make sure you are and uh, yeah I, I always again prided myself on that because I picked up on that very quickly too as a young guy it was this is something I'm in control of and it's almost and again I kind of I enjoyed it luckily but yeah so it's like why not just make sure that this is this is an area of my career that I don't need to worry about and it can also help you kind of you know like excel if you're like I said seen as one of the fitter guys you kind of seem to kind of you know get get onto things a little bit quicker. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, and it's always a, a point. A guy could have a lot of abilities, but if his fitness isn't the best, it's it's a massive black mark. And it's you have to be fit. You have to be fit to lead. You don't have to be the fittest, but you have to be fit. And if you're not fit, it's you, you, your prospects are going to be limited. Yeah, mate, and. Um... I'd, I'd say as well, which just to get across to the people who are listening to this is one of the good things that I loved about being down at 5-1 and, you know, I know that like the other squadrons like, you know, 5-9, the commando uh, engineer guys um, are kind of like from this like, same mindset in a sense that anyone, whether you was going through the course on P Company or when you just got to the unit and, you know, squadron and use like a new guy, Everyone who had a maroon berry and a set of wings, like you knew that they'd been through what you've done and probably done even more with even more experience. So you, you instantly had that respect for them. But also, 
like I said, when they're telling you to do something and they're setting the standard, it that was the one big thing for me, which I loved about like you and the troop at the time as well. Everyone who was there ahead of me, they set the standard, like they set the bar really high. So it was like, man, I this is I have to aspire to be at this standard. Like there's no you can't you can't let your own personal, you know, like levels drop. And was that was that something that you obviously believed that was really important too? Like every man who's part of the troop, this is the this is the standard you have to be at. Oh yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. Yeah, mate. That's cool. Um mate, going on to tour, again, I was thinking about this today as a good question. So again, I think I was mate, I think I'd just gone twenty, maybe or yeah, twenty or twenty one max when I went when I went on tour. Mate, you had a family at the time. What, mate? How, how difficult was that? If it was like you know, obviously you're you're a staff sergeant looking after X amount of blocks. Yeah, you've got the trust in the blocks, but you know we're in that type of environment. But then back home, mate, what was that like? Like you know, with your family. Um, I think you have to switch off to it to a degree. I, mean, I used yeah. to write them a, a bluey, um, a, a little letter thing that we used to put in the post bag. Uh, most nights, but um, I don't know. There's not a lot that we could do. You I mean you just have to try and think. I've got to get back in one piece for them. But at the time, I was more focused on the troop. I was more concerned that you know, none of none of the guys got hurt. I suppose, but the, um, the family aspect is the family aspect, and it obviously, it's massive. And it's what life's all about. But um, I, I could, I could I'd probably ruin myself and thought about them too much. Just have to think that. I'm just going to do my best and hope we'll get back. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the tough part that uh, most people don't realise too is, you know, it's and I know obviously we are aware of it as being in that type of world, but it's kind of like your loved ones at home, especially when you're aware, they, they take on a lot of the burden of, you know, home life, you know, for us, so we can just go away and kind of do our job in a way. And I think for some people... It's kind of easier, isn't it? You know, when you're away on tour, you just focus on the job. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, looking after young children um, on your own is pretty tricky. Um, and my uh, uh, my wife at the time, she did go away and leave me with the two older ones as young children, and that was that was hard work. So you know, <laughs> I, I felt for the, the young wives and I knew how they felt. Yeah, um, you know, dealing with with young kids because I had um I did have the boot on the other foot as such uh, myself once or twice. Yeah, and then another another good point uh, that I again that I loved about your leadership, mate, and just the again just the the bond that we had as that troop as a troop at the time was, mate. Do you remember the infamous uh, Christmas do where we I think we we was the only troop that stayed. I think everyone else went on leave and we stayed that Friday. Smoke grenade. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the one thing I loved, mate, and uh, again, I've, I've always, I'd, I'd loved, again, if I was in a leadership role, this would be exactly my style is I remember, I think whatever, you know, whatever the smoke grenade stuff, all that went down, it's, uh, people don't need to know about all that stuff. But uh, let's just say people was gonna heads. People wanted uh, certain people's heads to roll, and I just remember, mate, you as the figure, as the key figure of the troop. 
you got us all together. We you spoke about it. We found out, you know, you got to the bottom of like what went down. Tell me the truth. And I think one of the biggest things, well, when I think about it now, and I was thinking about it recently to, uh, today, was you had the faith and the trust of every individual that was under you. We knew that, all right, fuck, he, he's, he's going to melt me at some point, which I rightfully deserve because, you know, I've dropped the ball. But also anyone who's outside of, let's call it the family as, as one troop, and you called it the circle of trust, and that um, that you would protect us from them, as in, like these are my guys. You tell me what you want, but I'm going to deal with them. And trust me, they won't be repeating this. Yeah, well, I think it has to be that way, and especially when you environments that we were going into, like we, yeah. you know, in you know some of these these places that the military get sent, you need the complete backing of all, all the guys because. We keep each other alive at the end of the day, so you know what I mean. We need that complete, clear bond of we're a unit, we're a close unit together, and that's how, how you know, I mean, we look after each other and how we survive, and how everybody comes back home in one piece. Yeah, um, definitely. Um, so sorry, mate. Uh, just kind of piggyback onto that too, mate. Did you? Again, was that something you developed as you got into that leadership role? Or was that even something that, I don't know, like maybe, you know, from your childhood, was that just how you was brought up as well? Or I think, to, yeah, I think yeah. it's a little bit about my character, maybe. Yeah, yeah. You have to be loyalty to those that are close. And, you know what I mean? It, it, it creates, you know, a stronger bond. I mean, I, I, I've, I've seen people in the past where um, guys have got in a bit of trouble Soldiers do get in trouble. That's part and parcel of you know what I mean. When they let their hair down, they're on a high readiness and a high um, tempo all the time. So sometimes these things do occur. And, and people who, who sell the guys down the down the river, they're, you know, they're never going to get the respect. And I just I think that's so weak and, it, and it's poor. You know, what I mean, at one minute you're asking this guy to do all these different things and put his life on the line. And the next minute, just from a, a bit of a misdemeanor that we can deal with and internally sort of say, right, okay, we've done wrong there. But as a group, we will sort this out um, yeah. and keep it in house um, and minimize the sort of um, problem game. Yeah, I think that's huge. Uh, yeah, you hit the nail on the head there, mate, which is kind of what I was like getting at is, yeah, um, protecting the guys. But also knowing that the, the guys know, like I said, they you've got their back, and that loyalty runs both ways, um, which yeah, which I think is huge, and I, I definitely felt that mate within one troop, and especially at your when you was there as the staff sergeant, and um, we had all yeah, Trooper Drummond was another great you know great leader amongst like alongside you, you two worked very well together, and um, yeah, very enjoyable time, uh, mate. Any. Just on that kind of phase there, mate, that one troop, uh, you know, as staffy, was there any kind of personal highlights for you, you know, over, just other than like the tour stuff, like, you know, everyone coming back in one piece, was there anything else where you're like, yeah, I, I love that? Uh, it just went, it, you know, it, it, the whole thing, it was an absolute belting time. I, th I think the fact that it was brand new um, before Ross, Ross Drummond's predecessor, Matt Burks, got there for me as a troop commander and he was brand new just to come out of Sandhurst first job I got there a week later and we made one troop um, and went on Eric 4 which was, which was phenomenal 
come back from that, redeveloped, and then then went on the next headache again. And the guys became outstanding. We did some fantastic thing, built bridges. Um, you know what I mean? We did a lot of lot of stuff together, and it just for me it was it was why I joined the army was to do things like that. Um, yeah. And you know what I mean? It was just a a bit of good fortune, really, but a phenomenal time in my career. Oh yeah, definitely, mate. And um, mate, just on that, like, as the last note, I'm kind of like the one troop uh, error, mate. Uh, I'm pretty confident I know the answer to this, but mate, do you do you keep in touch with a lot of the lads, or you know, like, do they kind of reach out every now and again? You know, uh, just cause yeah, it... yeah, I um, yeah, still keep in touch with a few guys. Yeah, um, I mean, like Ross is not even in the country anymore. He's in he's in Australia, but I still keep in touch with him. Um, and, and some of the other guys as well, Cy, uh, Charlie, yeah. Um, yeah, still, you know, get the odd message and all that sort of stuff from Carl Spence. Yeah, yeah. There's a, yeah, a few of them still sort of kicking around. It's, and we've pretty much all moved on now. So, so, I mean, some of them mm. are still in, but a lot of the guys now are coming to the sort of end of their time or in senior positions. Yeah, and I'd, I'd just like to say, I think for you too, mate, that's just a sign of like, you know, like you said, your character, the way you operated and the way you looked after the guys, that's just a testament that you know, there's still these guys that, you know, keep in touch with you, you know, even long time after, you know, they've left the army or you've left and, you know, everyone's everyone's doing their own thing, but it's almost like you could pick up the phone and pretty much pick up where you left off, you know, within that time. So, yeah, I think that's a good good reflection on, you know, what the what you did in that period and the effect that you've had on you know all the guys that were in that troop, mate. Um, after two three, what what was the next thing for you when you when you like left there, mate? What leaving the army or uh, sorry when you when you left as a you know staff sergeant and you got promoted? Oh, right. um, I, I did a, a training role, um, which was it's nowhere near as enjoyable because you're just planning mm-hmm. training for others. Uh, right. And you, you're working on your own to develop training for other people, and that's that's you know I mean it's, it's a vital job. Someone needs to do it, but it, I wouldn't say it's enjoyable. You know, being in a, in a group with a group of guys and doing stuff is much better. Yeah. Um, so and then from that, I then went on to become a sergeant major, which is you know it's always a. A, a grand thing to be the sergeant major of one of the power squadrons it was always like a highlight of from when I was a sapper that you know I'd love to end up doing that, um, which was you know great kudos and all that. But the actual job was not as um, thrilling as being the two staff sergeant. That was that was my highlight. Yeah, that's awesome, buddy. Um, mate, I know. Well, how how long ago now, mate? Was it that you kind of left the military? I've been out over seven years now. Sort of awesome. May May two thousand fifteen was when I finished. Uh, cool. And so. then, mate, how? I mean, just well, you know, you joined when you were sixteen. You've done you've done twenty six years or thereabouts, all in. What was that transition like, mate? It's tricky. It's a lot harder than, than people think, yeah. um, especially the ones that do the full time. Um, and you know, the guys when they're sort of like two, three, four years out, thinking, oh, yeah, it's still a long way off. And then it comes around quick. Yeah. And it is a different world. Um, 
I think you, know, you you can't compare the two worlds, the civilian world and the military. And I think even in the military, if you're in a unit like what we were in, that, there's much more closer bond mm-hmm. uh, than say you know a, a standard engineer squadron. Um, yeah. And I think all that on top of it makes it harder again to transition out. Uh, and I, I don't mind uh, admitting I found it pretty tricky. Yeah, I've met, I mean, I did 12 years. So, and again, I joined when I was 16, but man, I, I even had some trouble, you know, when I came out. I, th- I think the biggest one, which you've just mentioned there, it was, and again, not to like, oh, it's like they're a different type of people, but, it, you know, civilians, like mixing into that civilian world. And like, again, like you said, that that bond, it's different. It's not, it's not the same. And I just, what I had to do for myself was I had to understand that the way I put it is, okay, the civilians are different to me. I'm different to them and I'm coming into their world. So how can I almost, let's say, tone myself down to kind of, you know, live amongst the civilian world. And then also just realize that, you know, it's not their job to understand me or what I've done. So sometimes I just have to kind of, you know, relax in certain situations where and not expect too much compared to, like you said, if you was back in the troop, it'd be totally different. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a fair, fair statement. Like, yeah, you, you know, you're not going to get that same environment again. So you have to yeah, understand think, where you are. Yeah, I think a lot of guys and just from listening to a lot of like different podcasts, it almost seems like, you know, if you ch- try to chase it and replicate it, that's where you, you, you're almost kind of selling, you're shooting yourself in the foot because it's never going to happen, really, or no. very rarely. No. Um, mate, when you, well, when you, you know, obviously ended your career, like, and then transitioned out, mate, did you have a, did you have a clear path of like, this is going to be my new career or did you kind of bounce around a little bit and until you landed on your feet or how was uh, that? No, I didn't have a clue what I was going to do really. Um, I started doing something in the, the solar panel world initially, right? which I quite enjoyed. It was all right. But then the feeding tariff ceased. So um, that stopped that. Uh, that. That was only sort of eight months in. Then I went, probably did the worst decision I could have done is I went on my own trying to do my own thing. And, you know, if you, I think when you're leaving, you have to reflect at what you like, what you don't like, and what you're good at and what you're not. Yeah. But I was always in it with a, with a gang of people doing team tasks. To then, for some ludicrous idea, try and do things on my own was just the, the wrong way to do it. And I didn't enjoy that, that part of life at all, really. Right, um, but for one or other reason, but the main focus is, is was doing the wrong type of job. So, currently, I'm uh, in in the construction world, and to speak to you to say directly what I do, it's easy to say I'm like the, the sergeant major of a big building site in in London, and um, yeah, I enjoy that. And there's a lot of the stuff that I do on a day to day basis that I could reflect to and say I. I do this, and they say it's a bit like doing, you know, an activity that we would do to compare. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, sort of now I'm I'm happier what I'm up to and doing it, and quite enjoy my my working life again. And there is a bit of a team ethos there, and um, you know, again, it's it's not one, two, five, one, but it's 
it, it's good. There's some good guys there, and we do some good stuff. And you know what I mean? It, it, it's all right. I enjoy it. Oh, that's awesome, mate. Uh, well, that's amazing. It's, it, again, I've even in the short time that I've been out, I think what it's been what six years. I got out in yeah, 2016, mate. And even in that time, mate, I've kind of had the same thing. I got into something, didn't you know for whatever reason it didn't really work out but i think on the back end mate i've actually learned more about what i don't want to be involved in and what i don't want to do which then has helped me almost like see clearer into understanding what i you know what what i truly want to do and fortunately i've managed to find my calling and it's you know it's fitness for me so i'm uh, you know doing doing the fitness and the health stuff you know as a trainer and a coach so i've kind of landed on my feet in that respect um but again, yeah, like I said, we are, you're almost, it's like the growing pains of, you know, finding out, you know, what, what are we good at? Where do we fit in society? And again, ultimately, what makes you happy at the end of the day? Yeah, yeah, then, nah, yeah, good call. Yeah. And then, did you, last question on this, mate, did you have any issues, kind of like, you know, the loss of identity? Yeah, huge. Yeah, huge. I mean, yeah. like, you you go to being a character in the military and say, I'm, I'm this, I'm that. And then once you're out of that circle, no one, no one cares. <laughs> I mean, you're like, yeah, mm -hmm. all right, nice, great. And it doesn't mean anything to them. It's, it's irrelevant. So, yeah, yeah I think it, it's tricky. I mean, you, you, go, you go to being a complete nobody quite quickly. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's hard to deal with, I think. Yeah. Do you, in your transition though, mate, uh, kind of more on a positive side, what would you say uh, the military gave you advantages in? You know, like compared to, let's just say, someone along the same age or maybe, you know, not as old as you because, you know, because you've done a full career already within the military. But let's just say someone's going up against you, you know, or a similar role. What advantages do you have above them because you've been in the military, though? I think to be able to deal with so many different situations. Yeah. I mean, something, something goes wrong at work. And, the current, and, and some people will be like, ah, like it's a huge thing. Yeah. You know, and you're like, well, actually, it's not. Just think about it. This, 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 and you know, assess the problem, and then and then take it away, rather yeah. than running around with your head on fire. It's, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it, I think that gives you a, a brilliant skill. I think the way we are, with the, the organisational skills is, you know, it, it doesn't compare to the average civilian guy. I mean, like, this isn't. They're all the same. There are some guys that are probably more organised than me, but on the whole, yeah. um, you know, I mean that they, they can't plan things as well, and they don't they don't see the bigger picture as well. I think we're very good at thinking, right? In order to do this, well, all this other stuff has to occur first. Mm -hmm. So I, I need to engage with you know this guy, this guy, and this guy, in order to make sure this all occurs together to sort of you know bring the event on. Yeah, and I think that's where I mean we're head and shoulders as as a rule um, more advantageous to our standard civilian counterpart. Yeah, and I, I've heard a few of the people that you know, like you know, mates that have gotten out. Um, would you also say this for yourself, mate? That like there's a little bit of that. I think the term in the military was what no cuff too tough. You know, as in like. You might not even be the expert at it, but you have that confidence where you're like, uh, you know, you can almost kind of not blag your way through it, but, you know, you'll go into something 
not knowing all the answers, but you'll, like I said, you'll kind of improvise and still kind of maybe achieve the outcome. Yeah, 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 I'd say so, yeah. I think, yeah, I mean, confidence, I don't mind standing up and speaking to anybody. Um, yeah. But a lot of people will shy away, especially to speaking to senior guys. Mm-hmm. They, don't, they don't like doing it. and They just need to remember that it's just the senior person, just another human, you know what I mean? With uh, all the same bits and bobs that we've got, there's no, there's no difference, you know, and then they like to hear your opinion. Yeah. Some people just lack that sort of confidence to be able to get that across. Cool, mate. Um, mate, to kind of just put a summary on that in a in a way is like kind of if you I mean can quickly like reflect. I know we spoke a lot about it, like reflecting on your time there. We spoke about all the stuff you've done in the military and transitioning out. Uh, probably towards when you were getting out, maybe, or I don't know if you keep tabs on what's ha- kind of happening, or you still got, you know, quite a lot of friends who are, you know, uh, still, you know, in, obviously in the army and in the services. Mate, uh, have you got a view or an opinion on the modern day army? Like, are we, are they going in the right direction? Uh, or, I don't know, like, where, where do you see it, mate? Is it in a good position? Well, people always say it's different now and different then, but I think fundamentally, the, the the guys are the guys, and if they're led the right way, they're going to produce yeah. the goods. Um, you know, I mean, most most people join the military. Most people, you know, the, the rules have changed to a degree, uh, but they're there for the right reasons, and they want to be there for the right reasons. And they just need to get, you know, I mean, given a bit of slack to do stuff, and uh, a decent leadership, and they'll always be good. Yeah. You know, without a shadow of a doubt, we could have gone down the our troop could have gone down the Falcons in eighty two and, and and done the business. I, I know that without a shadow of a doubt. Um and you know what I mean guys coming through now would would be able to come into our time in, in two thousand six, two thousand and eight or whatever in, in Afghan. Uh, you know what I mean? Because the, the the average squaddy is the average squaddy. Yeah. It just needs to be trained well, led well, and directed well. Um, and I think as long as that's all in place, they'll all be good. That's awesome, buddy. Man, what I do with um, everyone is I've got the, I call it the Big Ten questions. So it's just a few random questions, nothing too serious. Uh, we're just going to kind of fly through these, mate. Um, mate, what's your favourite musician or band? Oasis. Oasis, love it. Uh Favourite meal, mate, or your go-to food? Uh, lamb chops, mushy peas, chips and gravy. Love it. Mate, my, uh, I put my wife onto lamb chops. She loves them. <laughs> <laughs> With the old mint sauce. Um, mate, what, I don't know if you read a lot, mate, but if you do, like, what book are you currently reading or have you, have you just finished or maybe an audio book? I haven't read it in a while. I do like, um, like Linda LaPlante sort of books sort of uh investigations stuff that makes you think and all that are pretty good right are they are they, are they kind of like uh what is it fiction or non-fiction yeah that's fiction yeah she's like yeah. um a police detective oh cool um i think i know this mate but favorite sports team uh carlisle united yep that's a uh, well football or soccer for the americans <laughs> yeah. um favorite athlete mate have you got a favorite athlete 
Oh, I'll be tricky that because for so many different eras, there are some great, great people. Uh, I, I go with Mo Farah for now. Currently, just on the way out, but he he's been great. I think. Yeah, I love it. Um, mountains or ocean? Uh, ocean. Nice. Um, is there anything that Clyde is scared of, like any phobias or just anything where you're like, hell no, get me away? Uh, failure, I think I would say everyone. Scared yeah. of failure. Um, I'm, not, I'm not a big fan of snakes. So. Yeah. I remember uh, we came across a couple, didn't we, in Belize? Yeah. Yeah, I've seen a few um, in Belize, yeah. Mate. Hitting the town for a night out or hitting the sofa in a movie? I'm going to have to say hit the town for a night out. Still got a little yeah. bit of life with this old dog. Love it. Um, <laughs> mate, maybe young Clyde or where you are now, mate, have you got a, like, what's your biggest influence, whether it's a person or just, you know, some sort of action? Uh, I think I've always been influenced by people, the right people that lead you to the right way and you pick things up off them. Right. And then... Kind of from where you are now, mate, where do you see yourself in a year's time? Like, is there something you're working towards? Uh, I think you know, work-wise, it's onto the next project, really. But staying with them, I'm happy with the people I'm with. Um, but just I'm pretty established there now, so just getting onto the next sort of element of within that. Mate, that's awesome, buddy. Um, mate, I... Just, I'd like to say just personally before we kind of put this to an end is, um, man, I've been really excited about this. Um, you know, just like I said, uh, getting in, joining the, you know, one troop at such a young age and it was my first troop and it's the troop that I love. I've got the, you know, the wings on the back of the neck with a 5-1 Paro squadron, um, Ari on, man, I, you know, that's my favourite tattoo and I talk fondly of my times in one troop and I think a lot of that time, man, literally it still runs in my DNA as in from whether it was yourself, the other guys that was in the troop, that, um, you know, their actions, it really like set me up for, you know, for good stead as I moved into the future. And uh, I'd just like to personally say, mate, you know, it was a huge honor to, you know, be a part of your troop, be, you know, classed as a friend of Clyde and um, of yourself, sorry. And, you know, I'm just happy, mate, that you've uh, made a great, you know, transition and, you know, everyone's doing well. And um, just to, you know, kind of, like I said, be on one of your buddies, on the buddy list, basically, of Clyde. And final question from me, mate, is are you still a machine? <laughs> I still I still train hard and still like doing it, but um, I'll give it my best go. But uh, I'd like to hope so in my head I still am, but I'm probably uh, slowing down a bit. I mean, knocking on a bit now. Yeah, mate. And uh, honestly, just to finish off, buddy, is, mate, have you got any... I don't know, maybe shout outs or just even just a final message like from, you know, from yourself as in, you know, that someone who finishes this podcast is something that they can remember, you know, something that you live with, a mantra maybe. Uh, I'm not sure, so, so sure about that, but as far as shout outs, um, gym wise now, I, I go to Cortex in, in Sandy. It's a CrossFit gym. I, I love CrossFit. I think it's a great form of, of uh, training. And um, when I was doing it in Suffolk, uh, I used to go to ISC, Ipswich Strength and Conditioning. Uh, so I'll give them a bit of a 
a shout out for anyone who's involved with them. Two great organisations uh, within the UK. Awesome, Clyde. Well, uh, mate, honestly, it's been an honour. I appreciate your time. Uh, I know you're staying up. It's late in the UK right at the moment. So, again, thank you for that, buddy. And, um, yeah, it's been great chatting to you, mate. And, um, obviously, we'll we'll keep in touch. And, um, again, for everyone else who's listening, uh, this is Richard Clydesdale. He's spent 26 years in the British Army, done the full service, joining at 16 years of age. If this uh, this is one of the guys that knows about leadership and I've seen it in, in action with my own uh, eyes. And again, I was under his wing in uh, Afghanistan back in 2008 and I came back in one piece. So uh, again, uh, thank you for that, buddy. And again, just uh, thanks for your time, mate. That's been my pleasure, mate. Good to talk. Take care. Awesome, Kai. Cheers, mate.